I want to welcome you to a special edition of You Asked For It. Uh, we weren't planning to come back this soon with you, but because of the fact that the sexual abuse report is in the news and everyone seems to be talking about it, it's national news, I want to take time to address this. Justin is unavailable tonight, so it'll be just uh, my, my perspective as we go through what's going on. But I'm standing here tonight in front of my own church and want to let them know the history of what we're seeing, what's being done. I'll put it in the proper context. First of all, all of our hearts break when we hear of people who've been abused in church and especially in Southern Baptist churches. Um, I'm going to share some testimonies that are in the report that broke my heart just hearing about them. But what you've got to understand about what happened this week on Sunday at four, this was not an expose. It's the opposite of a cover-up. Uh, we as Southern Baptists last year at the convention voted to do something extraordinary. We voted to, uh, to forego attorney-client privilege to bring in an outside group to look at how we've responded to those who've been abused in our churches and say, give us a report of the last 20 years and there'll be no limits to what you can look at. And then we also arranged for it not just to be given to the hands of a few. On Sunday at four, anybody in this world who wanted to see it could see it. So this is, this is a, a process where we want everything in the light. There's nothing being hidden. And this backs up what we find in Scripture, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who so confesses and forsakes his sin shall obtain mercy. God doesn't bless it when we have cover-up of sin. We need to expose it and then repent of it. I know it's been painful this week. Uh, one of my secretaries used the analogy of we've had to rip off the Band-Aid. But I will share this with you as somebody who's been involved in all of uh, what, what goes on in Baptist life the last few years. When I read that report that's almost 300 pages, I only found one surprise myself. I already was aware of everything they discovered. What was important about this report was it was now documented. Let me give you one more scripture because, like I said, we base everything we do on what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, 19 and 20, it says, do not accept an accusation against an elder. That's a term that's used for a pastor in the New Testament. Do, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Then publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. So the Bible says you don't just go on rumor. You go and check the facts out. If you get documented by two to three witnesses, then on that basis, then you go public. There's no doing things quietly. If you're talking about a leader in a church, it's got to be done publicly. Well, let me give you the more recent history of how we came to this moment for this report and its unveiling. Krista, lawyer is, Krista Brown is a lawyer who was an abuse victim in her own local church. When she was 16, she was at a piano lesson. All of a sudden, she broke down in tears, and then she could no longer hold it in. She told her mother that she was, quote, having an affair with the married youth minister in her church. So they, were, they brought her to the pastor along with the man, and the pastor made her apologize to the youth minister's wife. 
So there was no, there was no rebuke given to the youth minister. She was the one at fault and she had to apologize to the youth minister's wife. That youth minister and his wife were sent off with a big reception as if they were grand people to go on to another church. And, and so all of these years she held that guilt that she was the one that broke up, that, 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 that caused this sin to happen to the church. She was told, whatever you do, do not name, do not talk about what happened because that could destroy the church. Well, she repressed that, just tried not to think about that until she was, till later on when she had a 16-year-old daughter and she was looking at her 16-year-old daughter and she thought to herself, she's not old enough to, to be a willing participant in what, in what I, I, I see now that I was the one that was abused. I was the one that was led away. It was all put on my shoulders. And all of a sudden, the rage of that came upon her. And she decided that she wanted to track that man down and have him be confronted for what happened when she was a 16-year-old girl. So she contacted a, a huge number of Southern Baptist leaders, 18 Southern Baptist leaders, to see if she could find them and found a cold response with each one that she contacted. Finally, when she did find him, she found out that he had been in some of the biggest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, including serving on Charles Stanley's church during the time that he was uh, president of the convention. So he had just gone from place to place and it was succeeding. He was in a large church in Orlando. And she took her own money and took out an ad in the paper to tell her story so that church would have the truth. And that's the only way that he got out of the ministry. Well, she began to hound our Southern Baptist Committee. What we have is during, we meet once a year, but during the rest of the year, the convention basically is overseen by a group called the Executive Committee. And she began to call them up saying, there's so many people like myself. We've got to do what we can do to get rid of those predators and make sure they're not just passed from church to church. And she got only a cold shoulder. Uh, the lawyer who was in charge of the executive committee was a man named Augie Boto. And he told the committee, it went because of her constant response uh, request, he said that he believes that Krista is a distraction sent from the devil to get us off of evangelism and missions. And since we have now waived the attorney-client privilege and everything is now open before the, the group that we hired, we hired an outside group called Guideposts and gave them the authority to go in and look at everything. One of the uh, written notes sent to her from Augie Boto was this. Nevertheless, the adversarial posture which you have assumed is one of several factors leading me to believe that continued discourse with us will not be positive or fruitful. When that was read yesterday to the executive committee, the executive committee voted to express repentance to Krista for what was said by Agiboto because she should have, she should have received a receptive ear and not be considered to be an adversary. She was somebody who had been hurt. Uh, Wade Burleson befriended Krista Brown, and in 2007, he went to the convention and made a motion that a database be kept so that any time you hear of a Southern Baptist pastor who's 
been unfaithful or, or has been arrested for uh, molesting someone, whatever it might be, we might have a centralized database. So if a church is looking for a pastor or a youth minister, they can call the convention and they can say, is that person on that database? So we made that request. And what happens in conventions is you make a motion, then it is sent off for a year to be looked at by the agency and comes back for a vote the next year. So that motion would be voted on in 2008. There was a young woman, uh, excuse me, she wasn't young then, 2008, Debbie Vasquez, when she was 15 years old in a small church in Texas back in 1973, her pastor began to sexually abuse her. He told her she had to keep it quiet, and he took advantage of her constantly. When she was 18, she became pregnant with his child. She later got DNA proof that it was his child. And now she was an unwed mother who was pregnant. So he told her she had to stand before the church to confess her sin of being an immoral woman. But she couldn't say who the father was because that would destroy the church. And so she stood before the church and confessed that she had been immoral and that she was now pregnant out of wedlock. And that happened there in the early 1970s. That pastor has since gone on, and she actually found him, and he's still pastoring in North Texas. And so when she heard about this motion for a database, knowing that this pastor had continually been a pastor in, in Southern Baptist churches since, she went there hoping uh, that at that convention in Indianapolis, Indiana, that the Southern Baptist would finally do something, start a database, do something that would prevent this passing on from church to church. But the convention, uh, the executive committee said there was no way that we could act upon that based upon our polity as uh, a church, churches who are autonomous. I'm going to have to talk to you about that in just a few minutes, so I'm going to come back to that. They said based upon our polity, the fact that we're all independent churches, we're not going to be able to do something. We can only uh, ask for voluntary cooperation. Then we moved to 2018, Paige Patterson, who was one of the leaders in bringing the convention back to the Bible, a man who was very revered, had been the president of Southwestern for several years. He'd also been at Southeastern. It was uncovered that he had mishandled the cases of females who were raped on his campuses. Uh, and I'm, you can read the report and get the details, but it was a callous handling. And that's not the only thing in his life, but there were several things that, that brought, were brought to attention to the uh, Board of Trustees. And the Board of Trustees took the unprecedented, unprecedented move of firing a legend when they fired him and said the way he handled the abuses of female students was not acceptable for a seminary president. Well, he began to say that he was the victim of the woke mob that is trying to make the convention liberal. So when you've been hearing people say that the Southern Baptist Convention is going woke, let me point this out as where the source of all this began. This whole conservative Baptist uh, network that's been formed to try to save us from being woke and liberal when they did their first video to invite people to join them, it was done in Paige Patterson's library in his own house. Now, he denied. He said, I'm not part of this group. I don't know anything about it. But they launched in his house. 
And so there's been a constant attack saying that the convention is becoming woke all because this man who callously treated women who had been abused was fired because he did that. But the big explosion happened in February of 2019. In February of 2019, the Houston Chronicle put out three consecutive articles that mentioned 700 victims and over 300 ministers in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, people who had been hurt, people who had been abused. Uh, this was an explosion. I named names. And, and some of the prominent churches in our convention were some of those who had not taken the action that they should have taken in protecting their members. So when that came out, uh, it was obviously a call that something had to be done. So in February of that year, that was, excuse me, in, in October of that year, our Southern Baptist Convention produced something called the Caring Well Conference. What that was is we brought in victims and we said, we want to hear from you. Share with us your story. Share with us how you have felt the churches have treated you. And then we're going to come up with guidelines to help churches prevent this from happening in their churches. So they did this in a Caring Well conference. But the Caring Well conference had no restrictions on what these victims could say. And several of the victims talked about how they had appealed to the executive committee and had not received the, the, a sympathetic here. Russell Moore, who, ch who chaired that, he was our ethics person, was brought in before a couple of the leaders of the executive committee, and he was scolded. Uh, his assistant actually recorded the conversations because they were denied by the others, but then the conversations were played. But he was scolded. Basically, he says, do you realize you should have controlled what they said? They were too harsh on us as an executive committee. They've thrown us under the bus. You, you've got to protect our base. All those kind of comments. So you can see that the heart of so many of the executive committee was on how we can protect the convention more than you can protect that, th those women who had been hurt. So that happened. It ended up leading to Russell Moore's resignation. Um, J.D. Greer was the president. He, he was elected president in 2018. He was the president when the articles came out. And can I just say this? I was president of the North Carolina Convention while J.D. was president of the entire Southern Baptist Convention. We kept in contact through all of this. And what a great man J.D. was in all of this. He expressed great sympathy. He expressed openness to say we're going to get to the bottom of this and actually did something. He named 10 churches from the Houston Chronicle article and said, you're going to have to tell us, have y'all done anything about what, what they're talking about? Or have y'all made any changes? And that got people mad because some of those were our biggest givers. But he went and stood up for the victims, and I'm proud of him because he did that. So you have this 2019 when you have all of this come out, and then 2020, you know what happened, COVID. So we did not have a convention in 2020. It wasn't until this last summer, 2021, that we had a convention again since all of this has come out. During that convention, um, our convention voted to hire an outside group called Guideposts, give them unfettered look, including waiving attorney-client privilege, uh, interview everybody who'd be willing to be interviewed, and then bring this report that you have heard. And so we have this, 
And that's what was presented. That was what was dropped to everyone, not just the press. Anybody who wanted to at 4 o'clock last Sunday could read that report. Bruce Franks of Biltmore Church is the chairman of the committee. Uh, basically, let me share with you what has been some of the root cause of our problems in the past in dealing with predatory pastors. Uh, one of the problems that came out, as I, especially as I read through the report, is that there is too much influence on our executive committee from lawyers. When you have people come and say, will you investigate this? Will you go and talk to this church and say, you've got to, you've got to do something. You've got a predator. And basically, the lawyers were saying, this sets us up for lawsuits. We cannot get involved. And so that was a great deal of what I read in the report was the fact that we listened more to the lawyers than to what we should have been listening to, which is what God would want us to do for the victims. And when I say this, can I say I am very sympathetic because one time in my ministry, I confronted some folks in a church that I was serving about sexual immorality. And the next week, I got a letter from a prominent lawyer saying that I was being sued for defamation of character. Now that'll make you go to your knees and pray for the Lord's help. So that threat of lawsuits is a real threat. But so we have too much sway by the lawyers. But when it gets down to the local churches, let, let me explain, and you probably have seen this happen. Local churches don't want bad publicity or trouble. Um, you think about this. If, if we were to have, say, some, a person on the staff that was found to be immoral, uh, wouldn't it be better just to get rid of that person, send them out, rather than come before the church and the LOS be here and the cameras be here and, and all of a sudden everybody is talking about First Baptist and the immorality that went on in their staff and, you know, churches just don't want that. They say that's, that, that would be damaging to us. But folks, 1 Timothy chapter 5 gives us no choice. It says when you have found two to three witnesses and there is sin in an elder, you are to rebuke them publicly. It, it cannot be done as something swept under the rug and sent away. The rebuke must be a public rebuke. Now, let me explain when I talked about the fact that those who refuse to do any action use the fact that we as a Southern Baptist Convention are autonomous churches. I know that a lot of folks here tonight and a lot of folks in our church are not from Southern Baptist life. If you have been a Baptist or even a Catholic, they are not like us in, in the way they do church. The method, I'll just use Methodist. Methodist, the bishop places the pastor and the bishop can remove a pastor. A person who is an ordained Methodist pastor has his credentials held by the denomination. The church owns the building, so they can take action. Uh, part of the problem in the Roman Catholic Church was we have proof, proof that there were bishops who would move a priest who was abusing someone just to another place, even when he knew that abuse was happening. But we don't have anything like that because every single Baptist church is absolutely independent. Nobody in Nashville can tell us what we have to do as a church. Nobody in Cary, North Carolina, the state convention office, can tell us what we have to do in church. Um, we only voluntarily cooperate. And because of that, and for instance, ordination, when people say, can we remove the ordination of people who, who've gotten into sexual sin? You may not know this, but this is a fact. There is no Southern Baptist ordination. 
Each Southern Baptist pastor is ordained by an individual church. I was ordained by Vineville Baptist Church in 1975 in Macon, Georgia. They hold my ordination. We have ordained several people here. A lot of our younger staff have been ordained by this church. So in other words, it would take a vote of that church in Macon to remove my... So there is no Southern Baptist ordination because each church is individual. We do things based out of the church. So we don't have a lot of ways that we can, that we can bring pressure to bear. But J.D. did find one thing that we could do that we've already got in motion. We cannot order people to do things, but we can set the boundaries of those who have the right to call themselves Southern Baptist. We have something called a credentials committee. And what that credentials committee is, it sorts through and says, who has the right to come to our convention and vote and therefore to be declared to be an active member in full fellowship with the Southern Baptist Convention? And in recent years, for instance, we've added uh, uh, something that would remove somebody. They, we've actually, as a denomination, voted that if we hear that a church has refused to receive someone into membership because of the color of their skin, then we will inform them they cannot be calling themselves Southern Baptists. We will remove them from officially from our number. So the only thing that we can do is protect, is, is to say you cannot be a Southern Baptist. Uh, so... J.D. moved us a little forward and said, if you have someone on your staff who has a past history of sexual sin abuse, like, like what we've talked about, then you'll either have to fire that person or you'll, you'll have to stop being called a Southern Baptist church. And in the last couple of years, many churches have been confronted. The majority of them have either A, they've withdrawn from the Southern Baptist or we have withdrawn from them. One church, when it was confronted, fired their pastor because of his sexual history. Debbie Vasquez, the church that that pastor abused her all those years ago in 1973, uh, that church in the North Texas area was removed from our role. We could not make them fire the pastor, but we could say, you're not a Southern Baptist anymore. So that has happened. So that's basically what's happening with this. This is something we asked for. This is something that we wanted to be out in the open, to be put in the light. There's no cover up here. We, we, we say we want to get to the bottom of this. We want this documented. Um, with that said, when I read the report, there was nothing that surprised me other than the moral failure of one particular leader. Uh, and that particular leader was Johnny Hunt. That was um, uh, something that I think most of us weren't prepared for, but he is, they have gone through the witnesses and they have four credible witnesses against his word. And they said, we don't find him credible. We find those witnesses credible that he's been involved in an immoral action. And so because of that, Johnny Hunt has resigned as the number two person on our North American Mission Board. He's been one of the heroes of Southern Baptist. There's stuff named for him at Southeastern Seminary. Danny Aiken came out today, says, we're going to be working through that. We're going to be taking some names off, I'm sure. So that was a surprise. But what has really caused, I think, a lot of folks to be in an uproar is the fact that Paige Patterson and his friend Paul Pressler, Paul Pressler was a judge in Texas, there's almost a story that's told so often it's almost become like one of our great 
holy stories in Southern Baptist life. How Paige Patterson and Paul Pressler met at Cafe Du Monde in 1979 when the convention was in New Orleans. And they took the Constitution, they studied, we can turn it back to conservative, we'll do this. And that was what saved the convention. Well, both of those men have been disgraced. Paige Patterson, for more than one thing, has been disgraced, even though he is still out there fighting behind the scenes. Paul Pressler has been accused by multiple young men of being abused by them. And he is currently awaiting a trial by one of those men. And there are at least two men who are abused by him that are going to testify at that trial. So you have these great leaders that we have held up that were our heroes. So let me close with this particular scripture, Psalm 146, verse 3. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. These may have been the, quote, princes of our church, but folks, you're never to put your trust in man. We're to trust only in God. We're to place our faith in Jesus Christ. People will fail us, and so many people have failed us. So we have got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who never fails. Now, where do we go in the future? Uh, when I was at the state convention level, when all of this came out with the expose from the Houston Chronicle, I witnessed firsthand what we did in the state of North Carolina. We went into motion, and they changed our constitution so that there'd be some safeguards so that uh, anybody in our convention could be removed if, if there was uh, immorality, including a president of the convention could be removed. They, they did all those kind of things. They came up with some great standards to be sent to the churches to try to help out what's been done. And Guidepost, the same group that studied the Southern Baptist Convention, was hired to study the North Carolina Baptist Convention. And th- they basically have said, we f- have found no evidence of anybody that has been treated wrongly in the North Carolina Convention. So I praise God for that. We've been cleared. It's on the national level that there have been the problems. But we need to keep things in mind. And can I just say this? Folks, I'm so... We have an incredible group of staff and leaders that hold the highest standards. I had a vet in our staff meeting yesterday remind us of what we do to keep kids safe. And it would be worthwhile to have her come in, except she's teaching right now, just to tell you what we do to protect children in our children's halls and our children's ministries. We, we, uh, nobody, it used to be that we would put a little sign up there that if we needed help in the nursery because we had too many kids, we can't do that anymore. You have got to go through a security screening before you can enter in there to help with our children. That's just the day we live in. So we have all kind of high standards and activities that we do in order to do that. And so we want to continue doing that. Um, so let me close by reading what the task force is recommending that will be voted on. No, I'm not. You can find it. It's in, it's in everybody's article. But this summer will be an important meeting. And I believe that there's some steps that we can take that will help us, including a database that will be done this summer. We will finally have that database that, that, that people can call and say, is this man that we're looking at, is there any history that's been reported in his background? And so those are the kind of things that will finally happen. And so we're looking forward to that. Well, I want to thank you for listening to this special edition of You Asked For It. And I'm looking forward to have Justin beside me the next time we do this. But God bless you.